Everybody jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Thunderbirds are go. Oh, no, wait. That's something. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. Hello, agents out there. It's Candy in Chicago. How you doing? I'm really well, thanks. You're better at counting in than I am because I go, one, two, three, four, five. And then when I'm editing, I can't find the one, two, three, four, five because I'm so hyper. Ah. I have to slow down. It's one of, you know, it's my FM voice coming in when it's time <laughs> to count us in. That's right. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Good. I'm just pouring myself a little bit of coffee here. Maybe you can hear that. I don't know. Yeah. I just brewed a little mini Bodum thing. It's so cute. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's adorable. I haven't had enough coffee today. We're watching the third Matrix and, you know, there's all these fight scenes and everything. And I'm like nodding off. Even though well, it's coffee will do it. I, I I like coffee in a bodum, although it's been years since I've used one. I used well, to use one all the time, and I had one in my office at work. Look um, how small it is. Yeah, nice. It's really tiny. It's just one cup. They, they make them for camping now too. I yes, they do. In fact, yeah, indestructible I, ones for one. camping. Yes, yes, they've got that um, Kevlar on the outside. Yes, yeah. one of my family members has cause, it because <laughs> nothing says camping better than kevlar that's right i got a kevlar purse recently i'm always ah. on yeah just for so if someone's um, going to shoot you if you get involved in like a really bad situation i someone's going to shoot chest. you yes you hold the yeah. hold the purse there was do you remember the event but do that before or after i pee my pants <laughs> well yeah either that's optional do you remember that the tv show the avengers Yes, Don Steed yes, and Emma Peel, and like yes, yes. there was an episode of the Avengers in which Steed was shot. Oh, but he had a medal in the breast pocket of his jacket because he always wore formal wear. Oh, he had a yeah. a metal cigarette case, <laughs> which he kept even though he was not a smoker. He kept it for his foolish mm. friends who did, mm. and he, you know, so he could offer them a cigarette. Well, he had it in his jacket, and the bullet hit the cigarette case, and it only wow. knocked him over. Wow! At the Smithsonian Institute in D.C. Uh, I will not be able to tell you what president is, but they had a cigarette case, I believe. Oh, hopefully one of our listeners will be um, a history buff. And there was a cigarette case with a bullet protected the person, I think. <laughs> well, okay, so you my go. recollection oh, so is It's absolute... like art and life thing. Yes, yes. You know, I met Patrick McNee once. I was with you. Were you? Yes, was we went David to go Burgess get a gift books. for your brother. That's it was for my brother. Yes. It was his. It was his uh, memoir. That's right. And I was so excited, and um, <laughs> I wanted to talk to him so bad. And as I was talking to him, David Mervish rushed up because he wanted to be in the conversation. 
Well, it's because you're a famous artist. Well, yeah. And yeah. obviously everybody just wanted to talk with me. I know Apparently. Patrick was looking forward to my arrival. <laughs> that was a great experience. I love going to a book signing. I didn't remember you were with me, but of yeah, course you that, were. That's all right. <laughs> Who else could I drag to to see Patrick McNee at a bookstore? Well, also, we did have a tradition of doing our kind of the week before the holidays, doing our gift giving you know, especially for your nephew and niece and stuff like that. I would, I, I, you know, the worst, the worst Christmas shopper in the history of ever. And, <laughs> and now, I would go and say, pull the gun. And now. Yeah. My job is I do a little cooking. Oh and yeah. That's, that's a good job. I'm so lucky. I have a partner who mm. really enjoys doing all this shopping. Right. And now we, we've got like the, uh, the nieces and nephews are popping out the kids like there's no tomorrow and oh. and so so suddenly there's there's like four of these little kids in the, in the family <laughs> on Sheila's side it's overwhelming for me oh well she'll get to see what the hot new trends and toys are oh she'll you know she's on top of all of that <laughs> she, anyway. I I know she is she's she's an amazing gift giver I've got I've got a blanket that I use every day like one of those fuzzy blankets I use it every day from you guys it's just on my TV chair. And that was, you know, it wasn't even strategic, you know, marrying someone who's a great <laughs> gift giver. That's a good idea, though, to marry somebody who's a good gift giver. Yeah, Stan's a very good gift giver, too. Is he? Oh, my God, yeah. I'm looking under the tree right now, and I'm just wondering what's under there. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, he went out very purposefully with a lot of uh, intent the other day. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Then I went, oh, don't ask. <laughs> wow, we, we don't even do here uh, among ourselves the gift exchange much anymore well we don't sometimes we don't either sometimes we'll say look we're we're traveling we're doing this that'll we'll, yeah, we'll exactly. do it then yeah yeah but uh i guess this year maybe we just felt really inspired i don't know <laughs> hey we've got mailbag today <laughs> yes we have you're two kidding mail- me we have mailbag times two Oh my God. Fantastic. I, I, I keep forgetting to check. So it's a good thing you're on so, top of that agent. So the, the, the first, agent, the first agent. one I'm going uh-huh. to read is from, is from a friend of the podcast, uh, Adamandia, who proves oh. that we like to receive mail about anything. Adamandia <laughs> writes, do you only buy one box of cereal at a time? My oh. parents like to mix more than one cereal in their bowl. Adamandia. Oh. Oh, so there's no context for that. Uh, I love did we it. talk about cereal? We, we must have. We must can. have mentioned cereal. Maybe we did, and you know what? Because um, I don't I, remember half the stuff we talk about. No, because I, I you're know. thinking as you talk, right? So it's hard to remember everything. Yeah, I, I try not. I just to hope think I don't say I anything stupid. Yeah, me too. God, that's just the worst. I'm just so worried about it, and I know I say stupid thing after stupid thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, so cereal. Well, cereal's pretty big deal around here. I tend to not eat cereal because I'm always constantly trying to avoid something that might be fattening. Um, but Stag is a cereal devotee. So I, I know he is. There was a time when Stag first started to visit us here in mm-hmm. Toronto <laughs> back in the early 90s when we would get those variety packs of uh-huh. cereal where each one came in a little box and the oh, little God, box those. could be its own bowl. I and love And there those. would be like all we would get the the kind that had all the sugary ones for Stag. The Stag <laughs> right. is fun on sugar. Right. I don't think they make those anymore. I don't think they make really? those anymore. No. I, I don't think I've seen them in years, but we used to always get them. Whenever Stag was coming to town, we would get the ones with the Fruit Loops and the Cheerios. Right. And, and Oh, my God. When like I was that. a kid, I coveted those. I was insane Captain for Crunch. them. 
oh my God, I just, well, I never had any of that cereal. I've told you that before. Um, and I would covet it and wish I had it and be at a friend's house and they had the little, mini little boxes of cereal, like Barbie cereal. I love them. Exactly. But I have not well, seen them for a long time or I would buy them, but I usually buy at least six boxes of cereal when I buy cereal and just stack it up there. He does not wow. mix it. I don't think he mixes it. I think he puts one type in at a time, unless it was at the end of the bowl. Well, in our family, mm -hmm. for years, I didn't eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I learned that it's more healthy for me to eat breakfast. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Getting some food in my gullet in the morning is a smart thing for me. That's very good. They say that's very important for everybody. Um, and so I've taken to eating cereal. For uh -huh. a while, I ate nothing but granola, and I was making homemade granola oh, for yeah. a while, That's which is yummy. so yummy. But the problem was that there's you <laughs> you bake the homemade granola after mixing it with honey or something like that, and so and so as it as it bakes, it kind of gets all extra yummy. But mm -hmm. what it means is, as you eat it, you might as well just be getting handfuls of it and some glue uh -huh. and yeah. just gluing it onto your belly. Well, that's the thing. Now, Trader Joe's has this, it's very much like what you're describing. It's called pecan maple cluster. And I mean, it it's is more like it candy is meth, cereal, crystal right? meth. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> forget it. It's my gateway drug. And um, I have a box in the kitchen that I just tried to forget. I have, I don't know why I bought it. I bought it. I thought, well, I'll have one bowl and then steak and eat the rest. I just haven't opened it. And I mean, as far as I know, if he tasted it, um, he'd probably never want to eat another cereal again because it's so <laughs> good. They have a couple of different, these are like high-end cereals at Trader Joe's. They have regular ones that are, you know, really good economic value. But for these the plebs. Ones are a little bit For the plebs. I get those. We, we do get those. <laughs> uh, for a while, I was buying my cereal at Grant's. And Grant's, as you know, is an Asian market that's not too far from us. And you know it's Asian because mm -hmm. it has a picture of General Grant on it. I know. And some Chinese lettering. I know. I have no idea how it is that an Asian market got a picture of General Grant and decided, let's, of all the things you could call your, your store, <laughs> let's name it after General Grant. Who is probably a colonizer? I don't know. We don't, well, how come we don't look that up sometime? We really should. <laughs> so, so I go into Grant's and, and in the, um, in the non-Asian aisle uh, of Grant's, they have a variety of cereals and they have the, well, they had, I should say, yeah. granola produced or packed by some company I've never heard of. And it comes in uh, a, like a, if something's not a cube, but is rectangular, what do you call that? So I'm not going to say it's cubic shape because you'll think it's shaped like a die, but it's not because it's like a, yeah. So it's like if you took two trapezoid, if, if you took two <laughs> die or a pair of dice and yes. stacked them on their end, oh. like that shape. What oh, do you call so it's that? Shape? Very. Oh, I I would call that a rectangle, but you're right. It's two cubes. But of course, it's, that. yes, exactly. It's too big. So, it's such a straight. It's not like a normal cereal box shape. So they had like three flavors of granola packed by this company. And one day I needed cereal. So I just bought one. And don't you know, it was like the best granola ever. Wow. And so I started eating that as my go-to cereal for the longest <laughs> time. And then 
it just disappeared off the grant shelves. And I'm hoping it wasn't like a recall because I don't <laughs> know you, there was melamine in the cereal or something. Well, did you ask about it? And when did it disappear? Was it during I, I the pandemic? I don't ask anyone at grants. Like the staff okay. are running around. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're um, everyone's so busy well, there. Also, this is a male a stereotype, which is not good. Even positive stereotypes are not good, but I'll break it anyway. I tend to think of men not feeling comfortable asking for directions. Well, it's true. It is <laughs> Or asking true. questions and, in the store. And I resemble that remark. <laughs> so does Stag. And I mean, he just won't ask anybody for help at a store. Well, and plus at Grant's, Grant's, like a lot of the staff speaks minimal English in, in Grant's. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to be asking someone who's going to speak English or not speak English. So that adds to my anxiety. Yeah, that's true. And then you feel like you're really being annoying, right? Um I can't possibly ask a question in the store because there's never any staff in the store. So, you know, you spend such a long time walking around a store looking for anyone that works there. It's, you know, it's, it's so, nuts. I no longer oh, buy that, oh, that granola because okay. they no longer sell it. I wanted to add, I, I wondered if Adamantia's question had a, a, a kind of a, do how many if you only buy one box which she didn't say she only bought one box or her parents only she just one wanted box. to know what our buying habits were right and um i buy several but stag i think i believe he goes through one at a time whereas i would tend to open up a couple of boxes them? and not together in the same bowl but i would alternate them day by now, day now sheila yeah sheila starts off with <laughs> oatmeal crisp with, with, with dried berries uh -huh. and then we tend to add frozen blueberries to mm -hmm. at the bottom of the bowl frozen blue we discovered in the last year frozen blueberries oh, i went through President's 60 years choice? on the planet president's yes. choice yes yeah. without the wild canadian blueberries i know frozen. They're wonderful. oh my god they're wonderful they're, they're so good mm -hmm. and you, if you just add some yogurt to that it's like eating ice cream <laughs> but it's better for you very good so we've been doing that and she adds the oatmeal crisp. And then she's got this whole several boxes of stuff that have raisins, pumpkin seeds. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know what else she has. It's just, she's got this whole litany yeah. of stuff that she adds to the basic cereal. And right. she uses the smallest bowl. Oh, funny. I shouldn't be talking about her like this. I know, you know, we better not. But, but I'll talk, so let anyway. me talk about steak. He puts a but banana in first. <laughs> she, she's the smallest bowl, and yeah. and she stacks it everything up. So <laughs> there's so much cereal in the bowl that you can't believe she's got that much in it. And then she pours the milk in. <laughs> so then she's got to carry it from the kitchen over to the dining table, right. and it's like really precarious how she eats it is beyond me it's like a miracle of, i'd have to leave the modern room. civilization i'd have to leave the room i can't be i don't like to be in the same room when steak eats cereal anyway the poor guy i have a thing where i have an aversion to hearing people eat so cereal is really ah. a breaking point now if you're eating a steak or something it's just any kind of crunching i just lose my are shit. you okay with slurping i don't like slurping no Oh, okay. it's, and I don't mean that it's a, it's um and I slurp myself. I mean, of course I'm often a slurper. And, and, you know, when, when <laughs> I went to Vietnam, I discovered that slurping is kind of de rigor when you eat your soup for your breakfast. Well, one time I brought a treat to my, um, I was getting my nails done and I brought it, I got a treat for myself and I brought my a manicurist a treat and to my horror, she ate it right there in front of me <laughs> and she loved every second of it. It was fantastic, but I, it's called misophonia which sounds like a stupid fake 
disease or something, right? Misophonia. But it's apparently it's something, and I think women have it more than men. And um, the sound, if, if Stag ate an apple, I'd have to leave the building. <laughs> really? Isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. I know no, there I, are people I want to who, kill somebody who get freaked or it's out me by angry. people who chew gum. And well, once, I, once I used to, when I was at work and it, and it was anything like a stressful situation, I would chew gum at work. <laughs> and there was a woman there. Uh, I don't remember what her name was. She was a, a traffic control officer. And one day she sat me down to tell me that it made her like, physically sick to hear me chew gum oh dear and it completely freaked me out because i'm sorry yeah i i didn't think i was like a loud <laughs> gum chewer i thought i was an ordinary <laughs> gum chewer but uh, apparently I, I freaked this woman out so i kind of went off gum after that oh yeah well i think i think gum chewing go ahead and chew gum but i guess we probably don't want to chew it in general in front of other people it's kind of like the school thing although they, they always said it was um you know, bring enough for the whole class. But I think maybe the teacher had uh, an aversion to hearing chewing. Also, no. people put it under the chairs, right? Well, that's true. So I think that's I wonder really if our, our listeners, if I would like to know, can you handle people eating? The sound of people eating is a right. bug me. What about gum chewers? Let us know. It's, it's not that it bothers me. It's that I feel angry. <laughs> Why do it's you, something it's happening to me. It's response. not normal. It's not an normal. An it's a, it, I, for lack of description. Yes. I can't stand the sound of it. And then, well, you know, so music has to be playing or in a restaurant. Thank God. Oh, it's restaurants funny. are loud. Yeah. And that's also so it's just, I think it's probably when I'm more tired, it's not 24 seven. And most of the time people eat quietly. Anyway, most people eat pretty quietly. Well, these days, <laughs> my cereal of choice, <laughs> I get at the no frills. It's uh -huh. called, heritage flakes oh the heritage flakes i believe it's they call it heritage flakes because mm. if they called it ancient grains they'd have to make it two dollars a bag cheaper <laughs> and it would be on the discovery network yeah i think it's like you get it in the organic aisle at the mm. no frills and it's called heritage flakes Fancy. because everybody knows that if you eat grains that have mostly gone out of favor for lots of good <laughs> reasons you're like a healthier person right that's why right. it's in the organic aisle also no canada frills. loves the word heritage you know yeah. it's on a lot of things so, so i eat my highfalutin ancient grains nice. with uh, frozen blueberries <laughs> <laughs> well ancient grains would be like the kellogg's version of it <laughs> but the, the heritage flakes it doesn't come in a box it just comes in the bag that oh, would yeah. be in the box. Right. So it saves one layer mm. of packaging. Right. Still but not packaging. the paper one, the plastic. It uses the plastic one, not the paper one. Well, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But it has a bigger bag. You get lots of it. You get a lot of flakes in this bag. Is it clear like a cereal bag too? Yeah, it's clear. Oh, yes. I like it. Yeah, so you can see what's in it. And you can see how full it is. Sometimes when you get a box of cereal, and I know you've done this, mm. and you open the box of cereal, and, and you realize that inside this great big box of cereal <laughs> is a bag that's like a third full <laughs> inside this giant box. So you think you're buying an enormous quantity of, yes. of soggies. And mm -hmm. in fact, you're not. You're, you're buying a tiny quantity of soggies uh, <laughs> that that is misrepresented by the size of the box as a, a big <laughs> box of soggies. Right. Well, I did tell you too, the other cereal problem I've said this before to you is that my father would buy, speaking of big bags of cereal, the biggest bag of 
puffed wheat he could possibly find on the planet. Oh, and I remember this endless horror of how uh, I'm going to have to eat this forever. I told puffed you my sister. Puffed wheat is also good for if, you, if you're sending something <laughs> yes, like internationally. Exactly. It, it's really great as a insulator to, yes. to protect the package. Yes. Packeting, packing material. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for good sure. idea. Instead so of styrofoam. Have, so we have a, a second, a second okay. email. This one is called Bad TV, and it comes from friend of the podcast, Andy. Oh, good. Hi, Candy and Eugene. Mandy and Andy. Andy, happy holidays. (laughs) I've been enjoying the podcast as usual. Yay. Yay. A couple weeks ago, you asked. I'm glad that he gave us the reference because I always forget what we ask. And so if someone actually responds, then, oh, did Mm. we ask for that? Mm Because I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. a, A couple of weeks ago, you asked for... For favorite bad TV shows, I recently got into watching Catfish. Full disclosure, I have never watched an actual episode of the show because I don't have Hulu, but I have watched many of their YouTube compilations Mm. that show each season's reveals where the Catfish and the Catfishy meet for the first time in person. Wow, I love that. He watches it secondhand on on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, Uh, that's cool. You know, I have heard... I've never seen Catfish, but I, I have heard from the other reality shows mm-hmm. that come on in our house, mm-hmm. the word catfish. Yes. Yes. Right? And does that have, does that have to do with like a guy pretending he's a woman? Is or a, a woman pretending that she's, she's uh, anybody pretending that there's something that there's somebody not. else. There's somebody yeah. Different. Either their weight is different. Their age is different. Their gender is different. Um, we saw it in that show, The Circle. Remember we were watching that the right. circle a year yes, ago yes, and right. somebody was lying about their gender uh, because they wanted to be accepted for who they were. And they wanted to win. Uh, well, they probably wanted to win too. So Catfish was a documentary movie made by the same person who makes, I think the series is on MTV. And, um, but they had a movie at first where he fell in love with a woman online. And it not only turned out that that wasn't her photo, because he goes to meet her, which is really funny because it came out after I had started making my documentary, which was, you know, a pretty relevant topic for me, except I wasn't in love other than, um, you know, as a friend with the people I was going to see and um, that I met online. And it turns out that she didn't look like her photo and she was married and she was very passionate about him, but it was such a shock for him. And so he made a TV show based off of that documentary. But the catfish wow. is a terrible term because it's implying somebody, I think maybe they meant that you're at the bottom of the ocean so that you can't, the river. So oh, you so you're a bottom seen. feeder. No, I think that, I hope that they meant that you were um, at the bottom of the lake and you couldn't be seen, but they may mean a bottom feeder, but it, it really means tricking somebody, okay. tricking someone. And then the fishing so, could be a pun on the word fishing, P-H-I-S-H right. maybe. So Andy continues, wow, what drama. Something interesting I learned is that oftentimes it's not the victim of the catfish that contacts the show, but it's the catfish who gets things rolling. That makes sense because that's the person who wants the attention. Oftentimes because they want to come clean to their victim, but they've dug themselves in so deep and there's such emotional power in keeping the catfish relationship going that they need the extra push from the show's producers to actually go through with the reveal. Anyway, you may have talked about catfish before on the podcast. If you remember which specific episode, I would go back and give it a lesson. I listen. Well, 
I don't think we specifically no. talked about the show, but even if we did, I'm going to just tell you a little secret, Andy. I never know the specific episode. Do you, Candy? <laughs> Once yeah. we've talked about it, it's like it's back there somewhere. And I wish that I had like a spreadsheet or something. If I had an assi- a personal assistant, that personal assistant as one of their many jobs mm-hmm. would be to keep a spreadsheet of what episode we talked about what different subject matters that was all searchable so you could just enter the subject matter and up would come the episode because i mean we talk about so much stuff who knows what we talk about well i've got a couple Anyways. of lottery tickets here so if i win we'll hire a personal assistant for the podcast i think wouldn't that be great oh god it would be so great i thought that about it a million be- times about the spreadsheet about i i did take some notes i've got some notes i think i just put i didn't throw them out because it took me so long to make the notes but I didn't type up anything or anything, but I did listen to topics for probably two or three podcasts. And I was like, I do not have time for this. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I, I got a, a message on LinkedIn yeah. from a guy who's in the business of, of, of helping podcasts catch on. Right. And, and so he sent me the message and said, wow, I, I just heard your podcast and did I ever learn some things from your podcast? By the way, I'd like to connect up with you because uh, because I help people's podcasts break and and I you know I'm really good at publicizing podcasts and and he does like video vignettes and mm-hmm. all the stuff that you know we kind of dabble in a little bit, but we were either not very good at or don't have the time or couldn't right. be bothered with. Right. Um and I, if I could have connected him just for with him for just a brief enough time to say, oh, we don't really have any money for anything. <laughs> I, so stop. But yeah. I didn't, I didn't do it. Cause, cause he would just say, well, come on. Yeah. We'll figure well, out a way. You know, and also he could tell a couple of friends. There you go. There you go. Just tell just a couple tell of your friends. friends. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> by the way, I was also wondering if you ever discussed Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, you know anything my about God. that? Well, I know I watched a Charlie Kaufman movie with Andy. We watched Schenectady. I can't say it. Schenectady. I can't say that word. Yes, New York. And I think it was about four hours long. Wasn't that where? Wasn't that where the Unabomber was was living <laughs> before he uh, moved? Did he? I think he may have lived there a little bit. Yes. I, I think they went disconnected. Anyway, I we'll, think get they to, did. we'll get to the Unabomber. We'll All get right, there. we will get to the Unabomber. But yes, I think Andy and I watched a Charlie Kaufman movie. I'm a big fan of his stories. I was not a big fan of that movie because I it was just, it was so weird and disturbing and cringe. It was cringy. The whole movie's cringy. But um, I haven't seen that movie. Maybe that, maybe I, I stopped watching his movies. Although I saw Stranger Than Fiction. Love it. Um, well, adaptation says, is one of my favorites. Yeah. Andy says, I thought it was the best rather dull movie I'd watched in a good long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would be interested to hear what you both thought of it. Well, with a recommendation like that, we'll just rush right out and watch well, it. I'll watch it this week for sure. Um, what was it called? I Wish You Were Here? Uh, it's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, yeah. Well, that does sound like Charlie Kaufman. So I'll make a note of that. I'll see if I can find it as well. And if we could find it and both watch it, we'll talk about it. How's that? It sounds good. Um, You know, it's funny because, you know, we also did talk, you know, not just catfishing. I think there's another level of catfishing where it's not really catfishing, where you just don't know the person um, and you meet them and 
or, you know, like me talking about getting booted out of the book club. It's kind of like you think it's one thing and then you find out it's another because you don't have any eye contact with each other. You don't have any um, way of tempering what you when you say something, you know, I fail in humor online much less than I do if I'm in person or if I'm talking. When I type something, it doesn't really, my humor doesn't translate very well online. And so sarcasm does not work online very well either. And um, just even being a little um, snarky or talking back to someone can really be off-putting. We got a little heated about Macbeth last week. Nobody, Nobody stopped. It wasn't really me, but a couple of people got heated. And I heard that they felt that they were cut off and they didn't, the other person wasn't listening. And, you know, and really when I looked at it, I see what they're saying, but I didn't think it was the end of the world because they're just busy talking. And you, you know, you may not get that kind of um, validation that you want. One thing about being online with people is it's really important to say, oh, I, I, that's interesting what you said, and then argue. (laughs) Uh Well, we have advice from, from Andy here. Yes. Um, if you haven't seen it, that's I'm thinking of ending things. Yes. Watch for the scene where they discuss fine art painting and specifically Andrew Wyeth's Christina's World. Mm. Now, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear what they have to say. I don't like that painting. <laughs> I really don't like that painting a lot. So I, because, I'm very interested to see what they say about it. Do you not like that painting because there's like, eight paintings in the world that when people talk about art, they talk about one of those eight paintings and Probably. that's one of them. I'm, I'm sure that that's in the back of my mind. <laughs> one of the reasons why I don't like it. You know, I like that painting. Um, I, I have, you know, when I was a teenager, I really liked Andrew Wyeth because it's a dramatic. It just seems kind of, it's, it's kind of sentimental. And usually if something gets too saccharine, in a painting, I, I tend to reject it because, <laughs> because saccharine paintings are really hard for me. Yes. Yes. I, I guess it is. You mean the horse running into the train? I hate that painting. Um, not because it's not a beautiful oh, painting. Colville paintings? I, I actually oh, is that Colville? Yes. I can't look you know, at any at any Alex Colville paintings. I mix those two artists up all the time. Isn't that funny? Understandable. Understandable. Yeah, the technique's the same, right? Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't make. I can't separate those people. Who's the one, or did they both sleep with their neighbor's wife? Oh God, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not really. Up I, on only my I only Although have the sex. I only have. I do know that there was something going on in the Cobra Group between Pierre Alashinsky and Asger Yorn, and I think it was Alashinsky ran off with Yorn's wife, or Yorn okay. ran off with Alashinsky's right, wife. Right. I don't know. Somebody ran off with somebody. Yeah. And they did a song about it and called it called it Layla. Oh no, that oh, was that funny. was that racist guy. Funny, uh, Eric Clapton, but right. he he stole George Harrison's wife. Ah, that's it. I can't and, even keep up with what celebrities ownership. So it, you know, I'm saying that with sarcasm, and it does imply ownership. But yes, people, when you're hanging out at a group like that and you're partying or having drinks, and then maybe you're lonely or your partner's cheating because apparently George Harrison had a roving eye as well. He did. Um, is that so? Yeah, it is so. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you watch the documentary on George Harrison by Scorsese? No. It's it's it was did, done did a little he, bit. Did, did he did he follow George Harrison around? Um uh, like a little puppy. Stop it. Are oh, you no, that's, that, that's that other one, the Fred Lee Moods one. Yes, oh, yeah. but you enjoyed um, No Direction Home by Martin Scorsese. Mm. 
No, you know, you know Martin. The latter half of Martin <laughs> Scorsese's career mm-hmm. has made it difficult for me to watch all his good movies. Well, maybe that's why Tarantino said you shouldn't you shouldn't make movies when you get older. I I don't know if that's true or not because lot you look at um, lots of people are making great movies. Look at Ridley Scott. He's got to be the same age as Scorsese, so I don't think that's true. Sure. Yeah. Um, interesting. I'm trying to. See I figure it's me. The the Scorsese problem is probably me. <laughs> It's probably not Scorsese. Marty's probably fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I, I'm blank on a movie he's done in the last couple of years anyway, other than a produ- pre- presenting. So so Andy uh, closes off the email with, uh, anyway, take care and keep the podcast coming. And please say hi to Stag for me. Hi, Stag. Uh, hi, Stag. <laughs> Thank you, Andy, for that great email. We really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, and Amanda, really absolutely. We're just so happy for any mail. Thank you. That's Thank right. You. It Thank tells you. us that and somebody out there is listening to us, and it's not just Candy and I talking to one another. Right. And appreciate all that great content. Thank you for giving us something to think about with cereal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like oatmeal. But I don't make it very often because it's labor intensive. Interesting. I, I like anything. I like that oatmeal like too, but I rarely make it. Rarely right. I like. Make it. Yeah, and Camping. I put so much brown sugar on it. I mean, like I said, anything that tastes like cookies, I'll eat it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. But oatmeal could be good. I could see how you could get it become a porridge head. Mm-hmm. I could see that when it's cold, it's so comforting. I did go through a phase of getting it at um, Starbucks. I, oh, yeah? Starbucks was on my way when I had to go to work at one. I can't can't even remember. Probably about two thousand and four. Something. It was on my trail of getting up and going to work. So do I would like, get this oatmeal. Do you like, like hot hot milk on your oatmeal. I do. Or cold milk on your. Oatmeal. I like them or, both. I yeah. like them both. Yeah, very much. I, I like could them do. Both. I could do either. Yep. It's funny. I I never make oatmeal at home. We never have it. <laughs> uh, sometimes we'll have it in the house. We use it for baking, but I never eat it. Definitely. Uh, but for something like camping or if I'm somewhere else and there's oatmeal or even if I get oatmeal for breakfast on a holiday or something, it's delicious. I love it. Oatmeal was one of our family sanctioned, uh, father sanctioned cereals. And then you have like, there's oatmeal, (laughs) the regular oatmeal. It's like you have ancient grains and then Mm -hmm. you have heritage flakes. And then you have stone cut. That's and You have steel cut. The oh, steel, steel cut, because that's got like the, the coolest name. It's got to be the coolest. It does, name. and it comes in a tin. Yes, and they look nice. like they look like these little mini bullets instead mm-hmm, of flat mm-hmm. flakes. I don't love them. I don't love them. I'm okay with them, but as long as there's enough brown sugar and milk on it, then I guess I'm gonna love it. It's all about the brown sugar being delivered. <laughs> it's a delivery system for brown so, sugar. I would like to before we get into some other stuff. Yeah, I'd like to talk about three older canadian documentary music films oh good i've watched them this week oh and i i thought oh they're kind of related in a way Hmm. and and so i wanted to talk about them the first one i discovered accidentally on youtube i stumbled into it i had no idea it existed Um, it's a national film board production and i would urge any of our listeners to go to the national film board of canada and you can see many of their films there for free mm-hmm. and they've done many great shorts they really there's a wonderful history of canadian filmmaking in the national film board because that's one way that you could actually get your short scene true if you if you affiliated with the the national film board so they did shorts like uh the black fly song um bambi versus godzilla 
<laughs> I don't think the film board did that. Did oh, they? I thought they did. <laughs> well, you never know. I don't know. So in any case, they did this one and it's it's called Don Messer, His Land and His Music. And oh, fascinating. It's, it's uh, filmed in 1969, but it came out in 71. And in 1969, one thing happened of note, and that is, well, many things happened of note, but one <laughs> thing of note happened was the CBC canceled Don Messer's Jubilee. Mm. And Don Messer's Jubilee for a generation of people was the place to go for your entertainment. Um, now, for people who aren't Canadian and aren't our generation, you may think, what the hell is a Don Messer? Right. Well, Don Messer is Don Messer is really one of the the most influential Canadian fiddlers from the heyday of Canadian fiddling. So along with others like King Gannon, um, uh, Andy DeJarlis, Ned Landry, Ward Allen, Matilda Murdoch, there's, there's a handful that, that you would, you would say, mm. um, these are the great, really influential Canadian fiddlers and still are, they're still the go-to fiddlers. If you're, if you're getting into that kind of, of music. But it was also at a time in the 60s when Don Messer was king. Mm -hmm. It was the show. I mean, it was that was it. And your entertainment, it was a variety show. Kind of embarrassing. Why do you think it's embarrassing? Well, because it's so geeky. (laughs) It's cute. It's good music. We think it's geeky now because we've replaced it. At that time, what was happening was there was a wholesale rejection of the music of that generation there was a rejection of fiddles and accordions yeah. there was the the book to dancers who right. appeared weekly on don messer no one wanted to see them anymore True. Um, the little comedy sketches uh they actually survived but in different formats like on the sunny and share show so variety right. continued but replaced by a new kind of pop music um, let's call it rock and roll for a lack of a better term, um, replacing the music of that generation. So mm. in 1969, um, when this was filmed, Don Messer and his Islanders, and the, the island, by the way, is Prince Edward Island, uh, his Islanders, they went on a tour across country, buses and planes, and uh, they brought the, the Don Messer's Jubilee show across the country. And they played for people who were mostly... Mm. of an older generation right the generation that was still watching and were very upset when uh, the jubilee was canceled um and um you see it's it's like mostly mostly an older generation Mm -hmm. and these guys are going across the country and they're an aging band they're an aging group of musicians Don Messer, he comes across as a shy guy, and he's known as a shy fiddler. He he was never out front. Even though he's such a tremendously influential fiddler, mm. he always had a singer or a dancer out in front. He was the band leader, but he was never the front of camera on stage personality. Okay. Um, so you get to see these kind of aging musicians and their audience on this on this tour that they did that was kind of an end of an era tour. Kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I found it to be quite, quite a sad thing in a way. It doesn't have a lot of, uh, let's call it plot. 
uh, it just kind of covers the tour in sound bites and picture bites and um, bits of interviews and that kind of thing. And it's like everybody's dad's generation. Right. Uh, it's kind of sad when you say it this way. I'm just going to interrupt. Sorry. That too bad that low, uh, young up and coming musicians didn't support it or fight for it or something. Yes. You know? At that time. Like Joni Mitchell or Neil Young. Yeah. At that time, they, they, the young up and coming musicians wanted to replace it. Yes. They didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't want to. No. They didn't want it to exist. They wanted it to go away because <laughs> it was, it was dad's music or mom's music. Right, it was right. older people's music. And I think at the end of the 60s, there was um, a kind of uh, youth culture movement and um, they wanted to get out, out with the old in with the new. Now, from the perspective of 50 years later, mm -hmm. we look back on it and we can hear the music again. Yeah. And, you and, know, you think about it, I think about it at Old Town School, all the young musicians there would would love that music. They all well, want to yes. play it. And, and many years later, there's been a whole revival of that kind of music. Definitely. And the number of people now who play fiddle and banjo and accordion and have revisited and are reviving that kind of music is really great. Mm -hmm. Still under the radar of the pop music giant. Like it's not, it'll never right. be what it was, right. but um, it's quite interesting to see this moment in time when it appeared that this whole generation of music and what they did and what they loved was coming to an end. And there's, there's a part of it in which Don Messer talks about how, yeah, when I was coming up, the leader of the orchestra was always the fiddle player. The fiddle player was always the most mm -hmm. important person mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. band. Mm -hmm. And he could see that in his, in his own lifetime changing. Guitarist. Um, if he, if he could only know now, people look at Don Messer and see him as a tremendously influential musician mm -hmm. who kept alive these wonderful music traditions and also filtered a musical tradition that came from elsewhere, that came from largely the United Kingdom and made it Canadian music. Mm -hmm. And you, if nothing else, you could call Don Messer's fiddle music very Canadian. True. He would play all the Canadian tunes, and um, and that was important as he went regionally around the country on that tour, playing the tunes that people wanted to hear. Mm. So I'm going to recommend that one. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting little documentary. And on the tail end of that, it's also free on YouTube. Good. You could just search for it, Don Messer, his land and his music, and you can watch it. Um, you can also <laughs> see... At the same time, while you're on a roll, you can see another film available for free on the YouTube called Across This Land. Now, oh, I know Across that. This I've seen that. It's more of a concert film than mm -hmm. it was a documentary. Right. Movie. Filmed mostly in a place that you and I know very, very well <laughs> called the Horseshoe Tavern here yep. in Toronto. Yep. And at the Horseshoe Tavern, a fellow named Stompin' Tom Connors headlined for nine solid weeks. Amazing. Can you just imagine nine weeks? Most Insane. people can't fill a club for a night or two nights. Nine mm -hmm. weeks every mm -hmm. night sold out Horseshoe Tavern. What years? Um, it would be the early 70s. Mm -hmm. The film was done in, I think, um, 73, 73 or 74, something like oh, that. Wow. Oh, I wanted to mention on the on the Don Messer mm -hmm. film, yeah. 
um, one of the people who was on the tour with them was Don Messer's protege, who was a fellow named Graham Townsend. And Graham Townsend went on to become Canada's preeminent fiddler in the 70s and the 80s. Mm. So he sort of, even though the level of popularity for that kind of music that Don Messer enjoyed in his prime would never be again, right. um, Graham Townsend made it damn close because everybody wanted to go to a Graham Townsend show. Um, uh, Graham and his, uh, his wife, Eleanor Townsend, both two of Canada's great fiddlers and really two of our preeminent fiddlers in the generation after Don Messer. So right. that was in there. So we're talking about um, across this land. Among the things you see in it that really dates it is you're watching it live at the Horseshoe Tavern, and what you see is Stomp and Tom and his band playing, <laughs> yeah, through a haze, billowing haze of smoke coming. Like you see, like streams of smoke coming through the camera lens. <laughs> And then Tom takes his takes his break while he's got a fiddler up there. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he does is he sparks up his cigarette. Everybody's <laughs> smoking and drinking, yep. having a great old time in 1973. That's the first thing you notice. Uh, it's directed by a guy named uh, John C.W. Saxton. Um, but notable, if you look at the credits at the beginning, mm -hmm. the... Um, the product, the assistant production manager was a fellow who went on to become a filmmaker in his own right. Norman? David Cronenberg. Oh, David Cronenberg. Oh, was, wow. was an assistant production manager on Across the Sled. Assistant production manager. That is so funny. Whatever that does. Whatever you do as an assistant production yeah. manager. Yeah. Because, I mean, film roles. I, I mean, I still right. don't know what a gaffer is, okay? Oh, it's electrician. Oh, really? oh, of course, because he has gaffing tape. Yep. Yes, got it. Uh, yeah, so um, funny. That's so the this last is like a, person I thought you were going to say. Yeah, so it's a Stomp and Tom time capsule, and it has some animated bits in it. Uh, you know, he talks he talks in it about stopping by Leamington, Ontario, and writing a song about the place and getting chased out of town after Too writing funny. the song. And you'll know the song. He talks about um, the bottle drips all over the chips down in ketchup country. Because at the time, Leamington was where a company called Heinz grew all their tomatoes, or the farmers grew the tomatoes, processed by Heinz into ketchup. <laughs> uh, for many years, Heinz right. was the ketchup that, that, you would, that you would have on your chips in Canada. Until, of course... Pints packed up and shut down their processing plant and abandoned Leamington. And they've been taken over, I believe, by French's now is now growing the or packing the tomatoes and making the ketchup. So if you're if you're up here in Canada, you want to buy your French's ketchup uh, made in Leamington, Ontario, not your Heinz ketchup, which is now made in someplace else, probably mm. America. Mm. Right, nothing against America. Well, a few things, maybe. Well, <laughs> I um, think I think the issue might be that we would like to think of Canada as being able to self-sustain some economy. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's where you're going with that. I'm guessing. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean you you know, you could dismiss Stomp and Tom. And 
some of our listeners from the United States may think, what the hell is a stomping tom? Oh, my God. And I'm going to say, just go and tune in to five minutes of Across This Land, and you'll right. know all you need to know. Right. You're going to hear, you're going to hear Stompin' Tom talk about <laughs> Bud the Spud from the bright red mud going down the highway flying, you know, growing the best damn potatoes that's ever been grown. You're going to hear about the man moon, the moon man, <laughs> Luffy. You're going to hear about Luke's guitar. Yep. You know, Luke, his, his, his wife said, you, it's either me or that guitar. Well... <laughs> You don't want to know what happened. Uh, I can guess. I went into work one day, speaking of whether people in the States know about Stomping Tom or not, I went into work one day and my boss said, oh my God, Candy, you have to see this. He holds up a video and it's the hockey song. <laughs> oh my Madison, God. In Maple Leaf Gardens. I almost said Madison Square Gardens. In Maple Leaf Gardens. And I was like, oh, I'm very, he goes, can you believe this? I said, well, I'm very familiar with that song. And that artist, he was so blown away. He's a he's a goalie. Does he mean one of the hockey songs? One of the hockey songs. The other because one, of course, because of course, because one of our one of our uh, guests here on 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 the podcast of, of our previous episode, mm -hmm. Lopez and mm -hmm. his band Jughead, of course, did another great tune called the Hockey Song. Also highly recommended. That's right. And I wondered, I was, I, did we talk about Don Messer with Lopez? I can't remember. No, we no, we didn't. But I'm sure that so. Lopez is mighty familiar growing up in Halifax with uh, with Don Messer for exactly. sure. Exactly. Um, so I, I'm going to highly recommend that for a kind of taste of Canadiana. You get to learn about all sorts of places <laughs> around the country, and I mean, you could dismiss him as a novelty act, and in a way, he is. But he did it with such care and love for all the places that he visited. It kind of goes beyond novelty. And of okay. course, he stomps his way through a piece of plywood. And at the end of the film, <laughs> they hold up the plywood and you see the holes that he stomped right. through with his cowboy boots. Right. That they put so under his not. feet on the stage. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to just quickly say was that in the, the, the thing about Don Messer's Jubilee, it's not, it's not just that people hated their parents or that they hated old time music. I think it was the symbol for maybe it was associated with, without completely understanding, but assuming white power, white, white dominant culture, maybe sexism. It wasn't that they, I'm not saying John Messer's Jubilee was sexist, but you know what I mean? I think it was symbolic of the many changes, social changes that people wanted to have. At maybe, the time. I don't know how conscious that would be, but, but it would well, be, be unconscious. <laughs> uh, it, it, it may be. Now yeah. the other, the third film I'm going to recommend mm -hmm. um, has, has in it some, youths talking about the music mm. and um this this film is called um it's called every saturday night and it's from 1973 it's a 27 minute national film board production i highly recommend it it's set in beautiful drumheller alberta mm -hmm. and it features a band that has fiddles and accordions and bones players and piano and trumpets and horns and everything Hmm. An old time band called the Badlanders. Oh, films directed by Tom uh, Radford, and um, it's really a short documentary about this band that toured around playing dances in rural Alberta for years and years and years. You know, one year they played over two hundred dances in a year. Um, wow. It was in a in a time when we didn't have the kind of mass communication that we had today. Uh, it was very very important 
part of our social fabric to be able to have that kind of live music come into our rural communities and play dance halls and barns and outdoors mm. and wherever. Um, so um, it's also set at a time where when things were changing. And excuse me. <laughs> Bless you. Um, and there's a wonderful scene that has two young guys complaining about old time dance music. <laughs> and they're saying, oh yeah, like, you know, they're good players and everything. They could play well, but you know, it stuff's no good for the teens. You should just get rid of this music. Just get rid of it. And the <laughs> well, other guys, the, other guy, the, old, so the, the two youths there, they've got like long hair and, mm-hmm. you know, just like the adults, they're smoking because everybody mm-hmm. smokes in this mm-hmm. one too. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're like, they're saying, you just got to get rid of this old time music. We need to have what's new. Mm-hmm. And these guys are also um, a group of players who are getting past their heyday as young players, right? Oh. So um, like with Don Messer, it's kind of an end of an era thing, an end of the era for the Badlanders. But it's worth watching just for the dance sequences. Okay. Which, are they which throwing are, shapes? <laughs> they're, they, you watch the dance sequences. It is, they're really good. Oh, they are really, really good. The dancers, uh, the book, the dancers on the Don Messer show were also mm-hmm. tremendously skilled, mm. um, really, really interesting dancers. Looking at it now, 50 years later, I think we could see it again. For years, we were blinded. We just couldn't, right. couldn't see. Right. With the right. exception of some really, 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 really <laughs> geeky people like one guy you <laughs> might know who always thought that the best thing you could ever be would be a fiddle player. Right. Yes. I always thought like yes. that was the epitome musically mm-hmm. of anything you could do was playing the fiddle. I always considered well, it. And you're queen, doing it. And the that's queen good. of the folk instruments. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. And I am. Yeah. And you are doing it. You are. <laughs> uh, you I know, think I also, there's times in your youth where you are rejecting the past. You think you can't be innovative unless you reject the past. It's not right. true. It's not true. But it's a conception that young people have. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think this is a really good time to go back and look at these films yeah. because we've had enough enough time away from that period of, of tumultuous period of change that we can look at both what came before and what came after with clearer lenses. And, and hipsters we, are playing fiddle. Well, for sure. I, I mean, you could see, you could see why, what, mm-hmm. what, why some people are interested in it today and why they stopped being interested in it at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, as soon as you see Don Messer's band and they're wearing, they're wearing suits that have Mackinac patterns on them, like mm-hmm. red Mackinac suits. And you think that's as far as we need to go to know why this became out right. of fashion. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious. They were the squarest of the square mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. Um, although they talk about what drinkers they were uh, <laughs> but in both the, the Don Messer film and in every Saturday night in every Saturday night, they talk with the drummer and mm-hmm. he talks about, yeah, you might've heard the phrase drunken drummer. That was me. <laughs> and he, you know, he talks about how he would get so drunk that they would have to help him sit down in front of the drum kit. Oh my God. But, well, certainly but as soon as the not... music started, he would like lock in and he would be there because right. he claimed that the music came naturally and you oh. either have it naturally or you don't. Wow. And he did. So even as a drunk, he could drum. 
I suspect well, that he just didn't know how badly. Drinking does not make you cool. Does yeah, not he doesn't also, be... he doesn't know how badly he drummed because he was too drunk. <laughs> oh, so. right. Okay. So they put up with a lot. So I don't know. I mean, maybe. So they, they had a lot in common with rock bands after all. As it turns <laughs> out. Yeah. They travel around, get wasted and uh, uh, dance. And they probably had groupies too. They probably, oh, that's funny. Yeah, they might have. <laughs> I, mean, it's I don't know about, that. about it, but yeah. I bet they did. Yeah, I mean, because they're all humans, right? They're all also, I think people seemed sexier in the 30s, 40s. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not maybe the 50s, not. but definitely. Maybe. Okay, so for our listeners, yes, is was Don Messer sexy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we want to know. Was Don Messer sexy? But is it about being sexy or is it about? having peace of mind and not looking for something that you've already got you know what i mean like sleeping around on the road isn't about being sexy it's about being um you know having challenges in um your relationships at home maybe or feeling that you can't turn down a good thing or building your ego or sex addiction any of those things any of those things so i'm recommending or or what i call a tuesday Fun. No, just kidding. You know so, what I mean? I mean, I don't mean it that way other than that there's many backside stories. Well, that sounds like you really had a good YouTube rabbit hole. Well, yes, I, I really did. And yeah. I think if you're interested in hearing some old music that you might not otherwise hear and hear it done up in a really a very polished sort of way because they mm-hmm. were quite good at, at what they did. It was a very polished show, right. especially the Don Messer, but the other guys too. Um, and even Stomp and Tom's band in its own way, they had their shtick, but they did it up. You knew what you were getting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a taste of Canadiana, a little bit of Canadian history. You get some interesting music. Um, you hear, you see some great dancing um, in the Stomp and Tom film. You see a guy playing fiddle using um using like a stick as a bow mm-hmm. or a cane as a bow. Um, and he also uses um, a clothes hanger as a bow. So, I mean, fun, pretty, pretty fun and fun. exciting. So, I mean, one of the things about all three of these films is the amount of fun everyone was having. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that and the fact that it was a time when with Stomp and Tom, a shift had been made to the concert setting, mm-hmm. but for Don Messer and for the Badlanders, it was about the dance setting. Mm, so when you when you went out to see them, you went out for a dance, and the mm-hmm. dance had a band, right. rather than oh, I'm going to see the Badlanders. Sure. No, you went you went to the dance down at the, the church hall or whatever, and the Badlanders were playing, and they helped make the, make the evening mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. But it's really a social occasion that had music and dancing and. Mm-hmm eating and drinking and right. smoking and yep. all of those things lots of smoking well pretty cool um yeah i have a little bit of contemporary canadiana nothing that big of a deal and maybe even about young people not knowing things <laughs> um i just finished survivor the new season of survivor oh yeah during the pandemic they had to you know they obviously tested them and isolated them and they even had the finale where it didn't come back to la they did it on the location and it turns out there was a young guy on there and it seemed impossible for him to not win i was sure he was going to win i had a person who became very interesting to me throughout the show i didn't know anything about her very much you know during the editing um so you've got the 16 people on the island i think and um 
very hardship. They didn't have any food. They made it very strict and only 26 days. Normally the show is 31 days. And the dynamics were very, very strange. But what was interesting was that this young guy, he had all these advantages. He would win challenges. He found clues. He found advantages. Um, and he went right to the last three in the game. But meanwhile, there was a woman on, on the game who people didn't really seem to like. And um, she wasn't very popular and she wasn't particularly strong. And when it came to sending someone, they had at some point, they had an odd number of people where they send someone. Let's say there's 10, 11 people. Okay, five are going to compete and one's going to leave and go to Exile Island. And they have to stay there for two or three days by themselves. And, it, you know, she was so off. They send her. And she was a tiny Asian woman, appeared, tiny Filipino woman, actually. I don't know why I said that. She was actually Filipino. And I didn't realize it. She was Canadian. She's the first Canadian on the show. And she gets sent to Exile Island and she is crying. At this time, I didn't realize she was Canadian, which I probably would have found a little bit more interesting. I didn't find out until a couple of episodes later. And I was like, people had really misunderstood. Um, they didn't seem to like her. And yet I was like, wow, she's actually a pretty interesting uh, person on here. She seems to be, she cried and cried, but she survived Exile Island and turned around that she seemed like she was going to be pretty resilient. And she also seemed to have a really interesting strategy. It turns out they did not give the, um, because once you vote everybody out, the jury decides out of the last three people, who's going to win the million dollars. You lose, you have all the gaming in your, your game, but you also have to have a social game, right? So the jury decides who's going to win at the very last minute. And I thought for sure he's going to win. He was only 20 years old, I think, 18 or 20. And the thing was, he thought no one liked Erica, the Canadian Philippine girl, woman. They th he thought they didn't like her, so he brought her with them to the end because a good strategy is to take an unpopular player with you to the end. Then they're going to vote for you, ah, right? Ah. So that's one strategy that you see often is that, that an asshole, maybe even a racist asshole, ends up at the end of the game. And you're mad because you have to watch them the whole game, but it's because no one's going to give them the money. Uh, so anyway, it turns out that when he said, I brought Erica because, you know, I saw how you guys reacted, that you weren't supporting her. And the jury, because you make an argument to the jury at the very end, why you should win the million dollars. And they all shook their head. You assumed that we didn't like her. So what happened was that his weakest part of the game was that he didn't know how to read the people because he didn't have enough life experience. Ah. So although he was so physically good at everything, he didn't care if he ate, he didn't care if he slept in the wind, in the rain, the wind, the storm, anything. He was, he was really having a good time and he was so personable. He was pretty popular, but they, he missed red cues because he didn't understand a lot of social dynamics. Anyway, the Canadian won. Yay. They gave it to her and it was so cool. Yeah. And she said that the way she played her game was she is used to walking. She works for corporate you know, in corporate America, uh, corporate Canada or whatever. She works in a big office and she's used to walking into a boardroom and people go, Hey, can I get a coffee? And they don't realize she set the meeting up. She's the leader. And so she has made her whole career. She doesn't hold a grudge about it. She doesn't take it personally. And she's made her whole career working on that lower level of status in society. Um, she was very diminutive. She was tiny and she looked like she was about 12. And um, 
yeah, she was a real character. I really liked her and I was really happy she won. <laughs> anyway, so Gay Survivor was another great season. All right. Yeah. You, well, you know, I probably mentioned it on the podcast previously, but um, I have an idea. I should be a producer for, for Survivor. I have an idea for a whole season. <laughs> I know. And it would be uh, Survivor Cochrane, Ontario. I know. June. I know. And you go to someplace <laughs> in the bush and you don't get any DEET until you win an immunity challenge <laughs> and you get a bottle of DEET and it's June and the black flies are out and you're being eaten alive and you're slathering each other with bear grease right. and balsam gum. And, right. and it's really, it's really disgusting and you're hungry and they've given you a Williams wobbler and 50 feet of, of fishing line. Right. You've got to go out and fish <laughs> or set a snare or get a club and, and beat a porcupine to death or something like then I'd be, I would be there the first, <laughs> Well, to watch i'm gonna like, tell I, you. I mean they would they go to some island somewhere but you know they're not really living out in some island they're they're sort of there but <laughs> i mean come on it's pretty uncomfortable looking i'm yeah, gonna say i don't of, think i could do it i don't think i could do it um if i did do it i've often wondered how far would i get i think i'd make it to top four maybe top three i think but um physically I I mean, if I, I were there candy i would vote you off the island so fast yeah you should <laughs> you do not i to... know i know who i need to get rid of at the outset if i yeah i have to act a little i know you have to make it so they don't they can't read your advantages you do have to figure out how to do that so you're using a personality as one of your tools um so anyways the thing is they do get bug bites terrible bug bites many episodes season after season there's gross bugs that are biting them they are sleeping sometimes without shelter many many times without shelter they can't build a shelter they don't have the means to um they don't have a machete um they earn those things sometimes and they don't have fishing they sometimes will get as a reward yes a fishing line and or a spear, but they have to go and do it. Oh, it's come on. They have easy. a buffet every morning. No, they don't. Come on. There's a I, buffet. <laughs> it might a be a third rate buffet. It might be like a Marriott buffet. I don't or something, think so. But it's still a buffet. I don't think so. They lose so much weight. It's almost disturbing. It's it's shocking. So I don't think they do get that. Now, they did originally have rice because they stay for 31 days and they can have rice, but they usually have to win a pot or win a water or something they have to boil all their water to be safe so it's not entirely comfortable believe me it looks horribly uncomfortable yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it would not be safe i don't think to be doing it in canada well we watched a show that's not even released in america yet i oh, love the yeah. fact that there's something that we <laughs> get that you haven't got yet because Usually it's like <laughs> not available yet in Canada, but it's been available for six months already in the United States. Right. Anything well, British will go to Canada first. Yes. Yeah, so we have, yeah. we have Vigil, submarine yeah. series. We talked yeah. about a little bit. Yeah. And as Sheila and I finished it the other night and I, you know, I hate to break the news to you because I know you haven't seen it yet. Right. Is in episode five of the six episodes, <laughs> it's, it sets up the ramp gets the water ski boat going and they <laughs> jump the shark. <laughs> okay. All right. It starts off as a submarine series. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yep. there's, there's a murder in the submarine. There's a police woman on the submarine. 
what they don't tell you at the first is that the one police person that they've sent on board the submarine is the one person who's had a traumatic event in her life and can't handle being in enclosed places underwater. Oh, wow. So there's that. Yeah. Then, then... Which you would never do. That's why I said last time it would be right. a volunteer okay. thing. Yeah. So then there's, you can add in a layer of protesters. There's anti <laughs> protesters. Okay. Then there's a layer of Russian spies. Maybe there's a Russian spy on board. Mm -hmm. Then there's American spies because there's another submarine tailing their submarine. It turns out it was an American submarine. So there's a murder. There's a murder uh -huh. story. Then there's blackmail. <laughs> then there's a same-sex relationship. Mm -hmm. there's incompetent military leaders then there's like the club pack of red herrings so it's like realistic <laughs> yeah so there's lots of red herrings going on and then just when you're least expecting it they introduce nerve gas oh, on the submarine is that yeah. the part you thought was jumping the shark well i mean it's like it all happens <laughs> together at once it's it just got so ridiculous oh. that episodes five and six were, were almost funny were you laughing just well, about. I was kind of laughing, but you yeah. know me, I can, yeah. I get that way. I, I will laugh if I, if I kind of get ahead of it. Right, right. So anyway, it's still worth watching. Yeah. The first few episodes were so good that it's worth enduring the last two. <laughs> well, you know, I, my theory is that all TV shows just start out jumping the shark now. Look at Ozark, every episode, every episode, over and well, over Well, yeah, over Ozark again. is... I mean, that's like the uh, the the primer for jumping the shark. Yeah, it's like we're addicted to that now, and we need, yeah, it's, we need it's it all, constantly. You need, one, you need a plot twist every ten seconds. Yes, yes. So, and you if know. you don't have it, then it's a disappointment because <laughs> we demand plot twists. Right. So anyway, I'm still recommending okay. it. watch Vigil, Vigil I, in America when it comes out. Well, 23rd. So in a couple of days it comes <laughs> out. Um, yeah, you know, um. We've got plans on Christmas Eve. We're gonna we've got tickets already to the Matrix, and then we're gonna eat downtown. And nice. Stag has to work on the twenty fifth, but I'm pretty excited. However, I'm I'm getting worried because you know there's a little bit of restrictions. I just when we started recording, I turned off the TV because they were kind of listing what was going to be happening. Maybe the yep. mayor's going to shut some things down. It's very possible. Well, here oh. they, here they've already <laughs> they've cut the number of people allowed in theaters, the number of people allowed mm -hmm. in um, any place where people meet in restaurants. Right. They they've started. There's still gentle restrictions compared mm -hmm. to three mm -hmm. months ago, but there's restrictions nonetheless. Right. You know, as we have this new variant, um, which is kind of vexing, isn't it? Because it seems like it's spreading like wildfire. Very crazy. Very crazy. Um, but it appears that the number of hospitalizations is not going up really fast at all, even though the number of cases has skyrocketed. Right. So it seems that for a lot of people, this new Omicron seems to be echoing common cold symptoms mm -hmm. like sore throat, it sounds like a it runny too. nose, yep. cough, that kind of yep. thing. Yep. Um, and it seems to stay in the upper respiratory uh, system, mm -hmm. but doesn't really harm the lungs in the mm -hmm. same way that the mm -hmm. other variant seemed to do. But I don't. I think the jury's still out. I don't. Think right. right. I don't think there's enough data in to really understand what's going on yet because right. our data is and, at best incomplete right yeah and you can still get delta or the original um they're still they're still traveling 
So I guess, yeah, with juries out, um, it's kind of from the sound of it, it's maybe how we do want the virus to mutate, though. We do want it to become more accessible and less life threatening. That would be less life threatening would be very good. And spreading faster, that means it's an intelligent virus, even though they don't have a life form. They're not a life form. But we would say it was a more efficient um, virus than the original. You don't want to kill your host. You want to, you don't, you know, it's a bad virus that kills its host. It's going to, it's just going to die out. That's, you know. Speaking of of killing the host. Mm -hmm. The other night we watched Manhunt Unabomber. Oh my God. I love it. I watched it again. Cause you were watching it. I think that Sheila and I had seen the other one, the second season. Um, With the pipe bomber in Britain. Britain? Uh, it was at the, yeah, the said the centennial Olympic park bomber, um, uh, Eric Rudolph. Yeah. I think I watched that too. Cause I started to watch it again. I went, Oh, I think I've watched it, but I had seen manhunt Unabomber when it came out in 2017 and uh, I loved it. it. I it's, loved it. So it's I loaded, it again. It's loaded up with good actors, huh? Oh my God. It's the best actor. Sam Worthington from Avatar. Um, Paul Bettany can't do any wrong. I don't think he's such he's a brilliant so actor. He's so good in this. He's just brilliant in this. <gasps> and, and uh, the guy who was the husband on Good Wife on the Good Wife is, uh, is one Nose. of the FBI agents. Chris Nose. Yes. yes. And he's really from excellent Sex in the too. City. From uh, Sex because the city. he's like, he just plays, you know, of course, just like, just like you have to have the, um, um, in any TV show, you have to have like the, how can I put it? The, uh, the, the prevail- <laughs> people who, who deal in the prevailing wisdom of things be incompetent. Yes. So you have the military is incompetent yes. or you have the police are incompetent um, or you have, uh, in this case, it's the, the FBI mandarins are incompetent. Mm-hmm. Whereas the frontline agent, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this, this one too, mm-hmm. they really, really pushed, the whole idea about how this this agent lost everything because of, of this empathy for the the Unabomber. Now I right. don't know so the degree to which out. that is so. Right. Well, I will tell you that James Fitzgerald yes. worked on this show. He was a consultant for the show, so the real life FBI guy was a consultant. And so, which means means that he wants him. to make it really really accurate, or he wants to make it less accurate, accurate but more flattering for him. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Well, it's know. not very flattering I, for him, though. It's not. Let's we can talk about that in a second because it's not flattering for him, really. Um, I think that it was a very good portrayal. Um, so basically, one of the reasons that the ineptness is happening in the FBI is because he's doing something that's new: a linguistic forensics, for lack right. of a better word. And that is a catchphrase now. It's been kind of accepted, but when he was doing it, it was not accepted. And um, I've heard it called grammatical fingerprints. Um, you know, I've kind of been following linguistic forensics um, from a couple of books I had read about um, people who were studying that and trying to develop it and were called in for the Unabomber case, called in for uh, the Jean Benet murder case and uh, different things like that. Um, so it's, it's still a subjective kind of thing, but there are some math involved in it because you can put it through a computer program, a concordance, if you will, right? Is that the word? And and find words that would match things. You can find, um, so basically they found, this guy was arguing that I can find turns of phrases from this guy's written work um, 
in his, if I can find out any samples of his writing. So he was looking for any kind of backup to prove the identity of this person. Um, it's a very moving series because you find out so much. It starts out, you know, I think most people would agree they hate the Unabomber. Um, I upset my husband the other day. I said, I know you're not supposed to have a favorite serial killer and it doesn't make sense that I would say this. And he goes, stop, stop now. You can't like the Unabomber. <laughs> and I said, but I can like his manifesto. I can well, like his ideas. Well, I, I think I think that that's one of the things they really played on in, they did. in the show is... <clears throat> They presented a guy who had a lot of ideas that we want to like. We want to like um, how he was thinking, but we don't want to like his conclusion. Right? His conclusion was, therefore, we need to blow shit up. Well, yeah, I guess I would say he wanted to blow things up because he was trying to get attention to listen to him, or he was afraid. He's almost like the guy in um, The Terminator. When they find out that Skylab is making these Terminators, they have to time travel back in time to stop that invention. And in a weird way, the Unabomber was trying to stop technology. So his argument was that we've overteched ourselves. We have too many computers, too many, you know, we sit there mindless like robots at a red light when there's no reason that we well, have to sit there. Maybe you do. Maybe you do, Candy Nings. <laughs> Not me. I am mindful when I sit in front of the computer. <laughs> I, I think, you know what I'm trying to say, that we're, we're, we're accepting all this technology and it's controlling our life rather than us enjoying Mother Nature. And to, you know, Ted Kaczynski is, is kind of charming in the way that he loved nature and he loved being by himself, but he's hateful because he chose to murder people and he's a serial killer. So you start out this whole thing and even um, before he really understands this um, FBI agent, before he understands what's going on, he's, everyone kind of wants to catch this guy. He's ruining the country. He's scaring people. He's killing people and harming them. He harmed 23 people and he murdered three people. So I don't agree with that. But his manifesto still holds up. It holds up now and will be read probably for hundreds of years. Um, but that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. However, we find out a lot of things. We find out that James Fitzpatrick, um, the Unabomber, is isolated and lonely and a hermit. We find out that one of the girlfriends to James Fitzpatrick, the FBI guy, says, one of the women says, you've got a trail of dead bodies behind you, um, that he can't have a relationship either. He can't be with his kids. He can't be with his wife. He can't create a, re a relationship with a woman that loves him at work. He, he turns and, and betrays his coworker, one of his partners, even. He has no boundary to how cruel he will be to people. And it's very interesting to see that film noir aspect of this detective yes. story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we find out that and he was the subject. He was the subject yes, of, of MKUltra. Ultra. Um, but Ted Kaczynski went to Harvard when he was 16. And the shitty luck that this guy had, he already was a probably troubled young person, possibly with autism. And he already had a little trouble with intimacy. And if the fucking CIA didn't find him and put him into these tortured experiments unbelievable yeah, in a way you know, they created the unabomber didn't they? they they did i think he would have had a troubled life i think he still would have lived in the woods and maybe you know just had a small circle of people he trusted but i but don't you know, think that's, i don't think he would have been a murderer but living in the woods 
-hmm. not liking technology yep. with a small circle of people you trusted ain't a bad life. It's, it's a when beautiful you start, life. It's, it's when you start sending bombs out, killing yes, people, yes. that things get a little bit yes. twisted. Yes. So, I mean, I think they did create him. And um, it's a very difficult thing to swallow. You know, I've read tons of books on um, serial killers. There's like 26 features that they that that they say could give you a serial killer. And serial killers have about 22 of them. Just, I'm just I'm paraphrasing that ratio. OK. And one of them is torture is torture. And so that fits. You know, his family didn't torture him. Usually serial killers. It's a caregiver. It's one of their parents or cousins or a neighbor that tortures the kid and then sends that psychology into a malignant um, place. Whereas with um, Ted Kaczynski, you know, he was very sick when he was a baby and he got separated from his family in the hospital. And they used to think maybe that's what happened to him as it damaged him. But it, it seems that he still had somewhat of a childhood with his family. Maybe he wasn't able to be that intimate. I think he probably had a low level um, autism and maybe that's why he didn't connect and do eye contact? I don't know though. Um, but throughout the story, you just find out layer after layer after layer. And of course, I'm so proud of the production for showing that MK Ultra experiment. They could have left that out. You think they could have? I, it, I don't. I, mean, it's, I think it's pretty today important they could. piece of the puddle. I, it really puzzle. is an important piece of the puzzle. It really Can is. I say a piece is an important piece of the puddle. I think that's <laughs> what I said. It's a piece of the puddle, Candy. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the story? Yes, I did. Um, you know, I was, I was sort of aware of the story, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I, it refreshed what was going on. Mm -hmm. I was only vaguely aware that there were experiments. I didn't know the the degree. Um, I knew that his brother turned him in. Yeah. Um, and I sort of knew that it was at the urging of the brothers, his brother's mm -hmm. wife or girlfriend mm -hmm. partner. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, I didn't really know a whole lot. You know, it is kind of amazing because what happened was that the brother to him, his wife, she was reading the manifesto in the paper and she went, oh, you got to read this. And, and her husband, his brother said it, it wasn't anything he hadn't already read. You know, he wanted to resist it. They showed in this that he really resisted it, but um you know, he had a, he had tons of letters of his brother talking to him about this stuff. And um, I think he was a real hero. It would, it must've been terribly painful to turn your brother in. Yes. Although in, in the show, they sort of made the brother into a fortune seeker because they showed they? him that. Yes, they did. They showed him here. He is on TV and yeah. he's saying his ideas about, about why the Unabomber was why he is. And it's, he was out there, going on shows and being interviewed. Yes, and yes. Can I, you know why I think it, he was doing that? I don't think it was for fortune. I think no matter what happened, the mother and him, they loved Ted. They remembered him as a gentle boy. Oh, don't sure. get me. Don't stakes that I'm not allowed to cry about the Unabomber. <laughs> <laughs> There's Good something point. wrong with stag, me. Point stag. I know um, that, you know, I think they did that whole promotion. Thanks in the background offering this, the sound advice. Yeah, this was a promotion. This was a campaign to play him, portray him as mentally ill so he didn't get murdered. They wanted him to live in prison. They did not want him to get the death penalty. Uh, David Kaczynski is um, a Buddhist. And so he would be against the death penalty anyway. But they're Chicago liberals. They would be against 
the death penalty. And um, I believe his mother's probably was a Christian as well and against has, it. Has there been any news about Kaczynski in jail? No, but he's 80 or 79 years old. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, but for instance, other serial killers who are in prison, every now and then they'll mm, say something or yes. be something that calls attention to them um, or somebody's going right. to interview Charles Manson or somebody's true, going to interview so-and-so. So, th- so they come to the floor again. Has that happened at all? I don't think so. I'm going to say no, that um, I suspect he probably, I believe he does have a lot of people he writes letters to and that they write him. A lot of um, my people write him. And by my people, I mean anti-capitalist and anti-fascist. Um, I think he has a rapport with them. I think he's allowed mail. I don't think he's allowed to. I, I don't know if they would allow him to publish or to be on a TV show. However, I'm not sure, you know, if they could stop that. I don't, I don't know whether that's a right or not. Um, but I, I do believe he's in a rapport with a lot of people. And and his his manifesto is, it's going to be up there with the Anarchist Cookbook, with William Burroughs, with... Um, the art of war. I mean, it's going to be up there as um, uh, research for years, for forever, I think. Um, because it's it does say things that the Amish says. You know, the Amish, um, they have boards that discuss whether or not they're going to take on new technology. We don't do that. Why don't we have discussions where we say, well, the cell phone looks good, but AI looks bad. Let's not do it. We don't discuss it. It just happens. Next thing you know, we're fucking, you know, addicted to our cell phones. Well, it's because <laughs> the, the prime driver in our culture is the greasy buck. Yes. Right. Yes. Whereas the prime driver in their culture is the way they want to live. Yes. And growing food and hanging out with their family and practicing their belief system. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I didn't see David as that. He And apparently they did say at the end that he was donating his million dollar reward. Yes, they did to um, the victims' families. Um, I don't know if they would want that, but you know, that there, there you go. It was something that could help with medical care. And, um, but so I thought it was actually a campaign to get him off the death penalty. I didn't think it was to be famous. You know, I, I could have read that wrong. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good show though, if you haven't. If you oh haven't my seen God, it. it's the best show. I highly recommend it. The acting is incredible. Paul Bettany is wonderful. Um, or oh, wasn't the scene where um, it's right before he goes back to trial and he doesn't want to, um, he wants to be his own lawyer and he doesn't want to plea bargain or be, he doesn't want to go to, um, he doesn't want to do anything. He wants to fire his lawyer. So the FBI guy takes him, they take him in a car, they undo his hat shackles. They go driving right into a, um, a warehouse and we have no idea what's there. Oh, and he turns on a few lights and what's there? The cabin from Montana. And then the, the Unabomber goes, uh, are you trying to frighten me, dude? Like, that's what do I care? Right. He was very cavalier. I thought that was interesting. I really did find him. Yeah, he said uh, something about like, you know, where's the forest? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then he set, definitely wanted to stay in his house. He was happy to see it. They burnt that. I think they destroyed it. I don't think they kept it. It was, you know, not a good thing. Maybe mm. not the thing you want to keep for that was, It was really a very compelling scene when they yes. helicoptered the cabin out oh. of its little spot in Montana. Definitely. And then they, they lifted it. They sawed out the, the support 
picked it up by helicopter, took it into town and put it on a, a flatbed. And the whole town was out watching this event. There's a yeah. good documentary, Ted Kaczynski of the Unabomber in his own words, right now. You'll see it if you go to Netflix, because this show, the Manhunt Unabomber is on Netflix, right next to it on your tabs, on your icons, you'll see Unabomber, 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 Unabomber. in his own words. <laughs> and it's all, they do interview his brother. And it's uh, real talking heads of the real people. And it's also a very good documentary. Okay. You know, one of the things that I, I thought about when I was watching it mm. is that we're inundated these days with a lot of true crime that is put together, not with actors, but with um, bits and pieces of actual footage, mm -hmm. um, animation, that kind of thing, whatever mm. they can put together in order mm. to, to cobble together interviews, in order to cobble together the story. Um, but here you see one in which they've invested in um some top drawer actors yes. and it really well well i'll say that that there is something about having the non-actor approach which is compelling mm -hmm. i get that mm -hmm. um they were really able to elevate the story by having some strong actors in this good point and you know i thought was the other thing that was fascinating was because it was actors and they could they could control what the narrative was everyone got a voice and everyone was sympathetic in some way. And that's very unusual. You could feel for every, everyone had such a different perspective from the, you know, the uh, Chris Noth to um, the FBI profiler to the victims because they portray the victims at the end. They portray the mother. I thought they really did a, a great job of giving everybody a little bit of voice. You know, it's pretty hard to like the Unabomber when you see his victims, you know, talking to him. Even he looked a little shaken up by it. You know, it showed his humanity that he felt shitty about it. He he didn't even do a statement. You know, he knew it wasn't appropriate. So he did have, I think he had compassion and he did have caring, at least in the portrayal we saw in this series. And that that's really got to be a hard thing to do. I can't believe they got away with it. You know, and it didn't get panned by, uh, I don't know, law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I started watching the new Sex in the City. There's a oh, new yeah, series I, many years after. It's going to be 10 years later. Oh, well, it's I, got I can't some good bits. I can't imagine that being <laughs> I can't even imagine in the wildest, craziest bits of my imagination. <laughs> Cannot fathom that as possibly being well, a good show. Chris Noth is in it. He plays her husband, the main character's husband. And um, fans were not happy with the first episode. So there you go. But not maybe not for the reasons you mean. There were some there were some good lines in it. One of her lines is she's at lunch with her friends and she goes, I have to go. I'm on a I I I've got to host my podcast. It's like jury duty now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't feel that way. We like her. We like coming to here. Um, I'm just trying to see, you know, it's starting out okay. I've only seen two episodes. I think it's got some promise. Um, I started watching Station Eleven. I've only seen two episodes of it, and it's ah. very good, but very sad. Yeah, I can't, I can't see myself watching it because the last thing I want to see during a <laughs> pandemic is a show about a pandemic. I know, I know, it's very difficult, and you know, I've I have watched a lot of things that were triggers for 
during the pandemic. Yeah, I, I think I may support my own mental health by skipping this one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very beautiful. And it's got some good actors. It's got Lori Petty, who is a fave of mine from Point Break and uh, Tank Girl. It's um, got a Toronto connection, a Chicago connection, a Great Lakes. And, um, you know, it's mysterious, but it is disturbing. I, I really, the first, the first episode when everyone's getting sick, I just couldn't. It was hard. So, you know, it's not for everyone, but it is. It, I think it's going to be really good. I think it is going to be really well, good. I hope it's you gotten, enjoy it. It's gotten incredible do, reviews. Do tell us later on. I, I will. I will. I'm just trying to see if I have anything else. Oh, you know, assistant. Did you say that Cronenberg was an assistant production director? Assistant production manager. Manager. Yeah. It's a, that's Whatever the that minis- is. It's administration. So you're going to make sure everything's in place. He was a student sure at the, the time. Is there. Yes, exactly. He was that a U of T is, student. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Well, that'd be a job where you'd be. And that's a sure. University of Toronto for the non-Canadians. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, anyone in Canada knows that that U of T means the University of Toronto. U <laughs> of T. Yeah. Speaking of um, pandemic, you know, um, I don't want to say what town it's in, so I'm not going to say where it is, but a friend of ours, a friend of mine and someone we know lives in a small town in America. And they, um, her mother retired in 2018. She was a nurse. And there's a couple of, ho- there's two hospitals in their town. And the, the hospital that she worked in is now solely a COVID hospital. The other one goes for everything else. And they basically are fucked up. No one there wears masks. No one's vaccinated. They're lying in bed going, okay, I'll take a vaccination now. And, you know, they're saying, well, when you get better, We'll give you a vaccination. You have to wait a few months. Dot, dot, dot. Well, that's so sad, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It's so sad that we have people who are so wrong and strong that they're not going to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was a little interesting inside scoop there. Um, You know, I mean, we know it's being rumored to be true. They really should go to some of these hospitals, I think, and talk to the people. I guess they don't want to go in because they might get COVID, but you know what I mean. Um, you could go in with a suit and be safe. Um, and I also heard that um, Molson doesn't exist anymore. It was taken over by Coors Light. Is that true? Well, Molson um, is a beer company. Um, I believe that Molson, uh, the, the, the company that is now Coors, bought the company that is Molson several years ago. Oh, And so Molson's hasn't been a Canadian beer company in in years. Mind you, either is Labatt's, which was also, I think it might've been bought by a company from Belgium, maybe? I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, So Labatt's and Molson's are no longer Canadian companies. Mm. Cremor was bought by Molson's, so it's no longer a Canadian (laughs) company. Okay, so it's owned by Coors. Even though they try to operate Mm -hmm. as if they were a cottage brewery. Well, Lagunitas. Oh, yeah. Now, here in Toronto, um, there are actually some um, adult Torontonians who don't have their own brewery yet. <laughs> um, but most people in Toronto oh, are have a microbrewery, uh-huh. and you can see their beers in my local LCBO store. Like, oh, if wow. you go in there, they have a, an open refrigerator. The LCBO <laughs> is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or anyone not drinks. from around here. You can't um, buy drinks in a corner store. Uh, there, there were 
there was a time when you had to go to the LCBO and there would be a guy with a, a like a gray suit behind a tall counter and they would have those little little pencils, yep. little golf pencils. And and you would have to fill in your order. And there'd be nothing on display. <laughs> and the guy would look at you, give you the look and he would take the order and he would come <laughs> back with your booze right. in, a, in a brown paper bag. Yeah. Right. That's where that tradition comes from is because that's what your booze came in was the right. brown paper bag. Um, and now the liquor stores are a lot nicer, but they're still the government run liquor stores, the LCBOs. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who would like the LCBOs to not exist anymore and to be replaced by private. I'm companies. against that. And, <laughs> you know, let's just, well, let's just look at, um, let's look at the, the pot business in, in, in Toronto and see how, how that works out privatizing it. What we have in my neighborhood Within walking distance, there are 14 weed stores. Right. 14 right. Yeah, that's weed funny. stores within walking distance of, of my house. Right. That's not the reason why I don't want it to be privatized. I don't want it to be privatized because I want those union wages to go to the people that work in the liquor store. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good job. And, and all um, our taxes should give someone a good living. And, I, you know, could would you get cheaper booze if it was privatized? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's just more profits for the, for the owners. Yeah. Yes. Why would they change the price? We've been paying those prices for years and decades. Why would they yeah. lower so them? I don't really have a problem with the LCBOs. You know what I do have a problem with? <laughs> Somebody in a corporate office, mm -hmm. maybe it's like, you know, uh, don't get stoned on your own product. Maybe it's one of those <laughs> sorts of things. Um, somebody in, in the, one of the liquor mandarins in Ontario decided, what if we took the inside of a liquor store and instead of making the rows perpendicular to oh, the walls, they turn everything in the store on a 45 degree angle so that all of the aisles are running on angles. So it is weird. So if you want to go to the back of the store where they have the giant beer fridge mm -hmm. or the vintages expensive wine area, <laughs> you have to you have to walk up and down these angled aisles, and mm -hmm. there's no direct way of getting there anymore. No, I guess and it's then to make because you buy of the more? pandemic, uh -huh. because of the pandemic, they've then also put <laughs> directional footprints <laughs> on the floor, so you can well, only walk thoughtful. down certain of. Well, nobody, nobody follows any of the aisle markers in any no. store in Canada, I'm sure of it. Mm. And in fact, there is a Sobe store in, in Toronto in which if you attempt to, to <laughs> follow the aisleways, you get to one point in the store where you're not allowed to go in any direction. <laughs> You have I've to seen that too. Up. You have to be leaned up to the ship. You're all all the arrows are pointing. Yeah, you're all of a sudden in Squid Game or The Prisoner or something. Because I've I, it's happened to me too. You're not allowed to make any turns. It's like wait a second, I can't ever leave the store because <laughs> I, I can't leave this day, aisle. You can't leave the, the aisle. aisle, and everybody looks at you like you're crazy if I you're know. the guy who's following the aisles, right? Yeah. So anyway, they've got that in in the liquor stores. What a piece of frustrating design that is. <laughs> Can't they just put the aisles perpendicular to the damn direction of the store? I know. Just let us walk it down too the much aisle. To ask? Yeah, definitely. Hey, I went out for a fancy experimental dinner last week. 
Ooh, what's that? I had a friend. Um, well, it wasn't that experimental, but you know what I mean. It was a new. Does place. that mean like you're eating foam? Is that an experiment? No, there was no foam. No, it wasn't. It okay. wasn't molecular. Because I've seen like Top Chef and stuff, and there's always some guy who wants to like cook dinner out of foam. Oh, and you just think it's like here's a guy. He, they never his parents never socialized <laughs> him as a child. I know there's something went wrong, right? Came I'm from going... a good family, <laughs> and then he suddenly he's trying to make a living making foam that foam, he expects yeah. to eat. Yeah, I just I... I'm going to say right here and now, if the restaurant serves foam, I don't need to go there. All right. Well, just right. we won't force you. Thank um, you. Well, this one might have some young people, aspiring chefs or sous chefs that might show up on one of those cooking shows one day. Um, okay. It's a beautiful place called Machine. I went with Monica and Serana. They, uh, she, Monica was here from Seattle. Why did I say Seattle? Portland. And um, we had a great visit. Uh, they had a restriction, 19 minutes, which I guess they're taking, the, they're taking that 90 minute restriction from COVID and extending it just to turn the tables over. So we, we, we well, went with yes, it. it makes it makes perfect sense. If you we can't have it. as many people in your restaurant, well, if you're going to have any chance of earning earning a living, you've got to move those people through. Right. So people and really normally, have to understand. You've got absolutely. to go in and eat and then get other people in there so that, absolutely. you know, it's it's like my barber right now has half the number of clients in a day as mm. she could have before, mm -hmm. before COVID. Right. Well, you know, that's not, it's hard to make a living, right? Right, right. So well, I, I think that now there isn't that restriction, but they're keeping it because it turned out to be very handy for getting more people in. So, you know, I think that restriction was lifted a while ago. Makes but, sense to me though. It does make sense. It, of course. Anyway, I just want, I don't know why I'm pointing that out. So you um, went to a place chef, called Machine. It was called Machine. And Machine where you get like motor oil instead of foam for dinner. Well, it's engineered food, they said, or something like that. Anyway, it was not molecular gastronomy per se, but it was okay. pretty cool. Um, they had great cocktails. Um, we had all kinds of crazy drinks. Um, it was such a beautiful decor. I don't know why I didn't take any pictures of it. I did take a picture of some of the drinks, which I will share online. But um, the, the Was it like a Devo beautiful. sort of theme? What's a Devo? You know, Devo. The band? Yeah. No, no, it was like because I think it's called Machine. I'm thinking Devolution. No, I thought you know you'd have guys dressed up kind of like in no. tinfoil suits. No, and, and you know no 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 and like that right? Uh uh. It was very beautiful, kind of industrial, um, goth kind of feeling, but not. And then they had beautiful, um, I a beautiful um, decor. They had an entire flower shop in there. So you could have a flower cart brought by your table and buy a bouquet of gorgeous flowers. We did not do that. Um, but we did each try. We had three cocktails. I had um, one called Flawless, and it came in a diamond-shaped glass, and it was gin. And let me see what else was in there. I did take some notes somewhere, if I can find my notes. <laughs> you know, I take these notes, and then I can't read my own writing. Oh, I had one called Flawless, and it was in a diamond-shaped glass, and it was Kiro Dark Gin, Clarified Watermelon Liqueur, and Blanc de Chambre. Watermelon Liqueur? Yeah. Ew. I mean, I, I didn't, it was, it's, it was That's delicious. E -W it was delicious, but I, I don't know. I didn't, you know, they didn't show me that. Um, and then I also had one called Caged and Infused, and it Ooh. had a glass sugar cage. Ooh, is different you get than a, ew. Yeah, and you get a ew hammer. Ooh is bad. Ooh is good. 
and it was purple and you get a hammer and you crash the cage into your glass and it was butterfly flavored infused roku gin i don't know what oh butterfly flower did you say butterfly 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 flavored (laughs) what the hell is this woman talking about butterfly flower infused roku gin it had um, maraschino lemongrass violet candy made the cage it was really good. It was gorgeous. Um, a friend of mine had that. Sounds really good. I mean, I'm making fun of it, but it, it does. Oh sound yeah, good. we had three drinks. I would never. I would have moved to a bottle of wine normally, but I thought, well, these cocktails are really great. I think we, I, I, in retrospect, I wish I had moved to wine because I think that's better with food. And I don't usually eat crazy cocktails. Drink crazy cocktails with my. Also, food. cocktails tend to be very expensive, and they they make your dinner bill astronomical. Yeah, we were trying to be careful. We went a little nuts. Um, but we all and we got a lot of food. <laughs> they had the best French fries I've ever had in Chicago. Wow. I can't wait to go back and have them again. They were so good that we ordered another bowl of them. They brought we were starving when we got there. They brought us. We said, can we have some French fries right away? <laughs> and, I, you know, there's all this fancy food and we're like, French help fries. us. We need French fries. Yeah. Um, so what else did we order there? Um, oh, I know we had appetizers beet. Oh, it's Trevor. Quite is the chef and the food was he was trained in classical French but it's with Pan-Asian and Caribbean influences so it was very interesting sometimes I liked it I liked all of the food but sometimes I didn't quite like some of the food but the drinks were amazing I, I don't I shouldn't say I didn't like the food I think I should have had wine and there was just one time when I felt like the basil and the gin of uh, the sage didn't go quite well together. So we had um, mm, we that. had um, beet pickled deviled eggs with wasabi mixed into the yolk, right? Instead of mayonnaise or with mayonnaise. Barbecue smoked carrots with um, pistachio chili crumble, wilted mustard greens, capers, and lemon. And that was the winner of the night for food after the French fries. Then we had spinach cappuccini. This is the only one I wasn't crazy, but it was spinach. Um, no, spinach, cappuccini with squash, ricotta, sage cream, which was pretty good, orange cherries, and micro basil. And I don't know when that one just went in a few directions for me, and I wasn't crazy about it. But um, braised short rib with sweet potato pancake, pear mustard, and, and sage salad. Um, Monica had salmon with avocado puree, crispy leek, smoked romesco. And I had buttermilk, buttermilk roasted chicken. Um, with orzo salad, mm. grilled cabbage, and pineapple orzo hot sauce, salad, yeah. and it was it was delicious. And um, hot sauce, yeah, yeah. We had had all these appetizers, so we didn't even I didn't even finish my food and brought it home for steak. So it worked out really well. All right. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun, and it was such a beautiful environment, and it was a nice excuse for us girls to sit and just relax and visit. So again, the name and location of the restaurant, Machine, if anyone's interested, it's in Wicker Park in Chicago. Machine, ah, yes, yeah, it pops up. Yes, you do. It pops up right away. And it is gorgeous. It's just worth it to go in there and see how pretty it is. And they had two fake fall trees. It was really awesome. Like with fall leaves. It just was stunning. And they had a cutout, probably 3D printer, had cut out like a mandala over the bar with cork or wood. It was beautiful. Wow. They, yeah, it was pretty cool in there. And very busy. Yeah. And we won't be doing that again with the omicron for a while well, so. i think a lot of people are are quite 
have become quite nervous and, and yes. maybe aren't good. I've heard of a number of people who are planning on traveling who have changed their travel plans. Well, you know, I might be one of them because um, I was thinking of coming to your place, you know, and then going and seeing my family there. And I, I'm, I'm about 50-50 now. I don't think it's a good idea. Probably safer here than there. Right. I think I'm worried about getting back again, too, though. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe they're not going to close the border right now. It's just back to the where it's the testing three days beforehand, yes. which they had pulled back. So maybe it's not going to be a big a big deal. We'll see. I'm watching the news for that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun to see you guys. It would be great to see you and to yeah. and to, to do uh, a podcast or two beside one another. It's always a lot of fun. It is. It is. Definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I also so, watched a Sandra Bullock movie on Netflix. Okay, which one? I think it was called The Unforgivable. And I it's very sad. She goes to prison for 20 years. She's trying to find her family that she lost. And I was like, why am I watching this? This is really depressing. But by the time it was finished, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> that's the that's what I call the bullock factor. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. could take even a really, really bad movie. It wasn't you bad. It's kind it was of all sad. right. It, it was, was kind sad. of all right because it had Sandra Bullock in it. It's true. She was really good in it. And, she, and she's been in good. some really, really bad movies too, which she's elevated into watchable time wasters. <laughs> well, yes, and Viola Davis was in it. Vincent D'Onofrio was in it. So, and John uh, Bethanol, who I love, he was in it. So it was a very good cast. It was just a very dark drama, Ugh, but I liked it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I usually avoid dark dramas. But I went for it. That was it. Uh, are you doing any Christmas baking today or anything like that? Well, no, but I am. Um, we, we're having a very on? small dinner on Christmas Day um, with our, our friends, uh, old friends, Claude and Artis. Oh, nice. Um, we'll be here and um, we're going to do, I'm going to make a turkey dinner. Mm, and, I love uh, it. I think it, uh, it'll classic? be really very classic. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it'll be. I decided to make turkey dinner because I think they'd appreciate it. Um, I, I think they didn't have a place to go. It. And, and, you know, yeah. our, our friends, um, uh, artist needs a fair bit of care. And uh, it, I really wanted to give them a break and also give them a chance to relax and, and not have to worry about any of that. Definitely. And, you know, in some ways, turkey, it, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into it, but once it's in the oven and you've got the other yeah, side right. dishes done, you're kind of easy going. You can have a beverage. That's and right. I think and then just whip back and make gravy with her challenges and health challenges. I think something familiar and classic will be very nice for her. That will be. Um, I think so too. So you know. we're having just a small dinner, just the four of us. Good, good, and, very nice. Um, and that's it. Um, you know, I'm not, he, my, my brother has decided, uh, he's going to, uh, stay locked away from humans, okay. uh, to protect himself from, right. uh, Omicron. Right. And, um, and, uh, my sister is, is not vaccinated and, oh uh, we, we can't really see her, uh, yeah. until she comes to her senses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that. So we're not seeing family on my side. We saw family on Sheila's side the other Good. day. Oh, good. Uh, and so it's very, very quiet kind of Christmas for us. Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to wish all of our listeners, whatever it is that you celebrate this time of year, happy, happy, merry, merry, and uh, wish you all the best of the, of the season and 
um happy festivus and festivus for the rest of us yeah <laughs> and um, yeah have fun and i hope you stay safe and um you know, watch and have a have a chance to have some you know some nice times with 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 family even if uh if you have to really be low key a lot lower right. key than you were planning right. and for for those of you who are who are planning more um larger get-togethers please be safe please be careful out there yeah um, and also there's a lot of we need listeners re- damn it we need listeners don't die and we also there's a lot of movie releases right now that are going to be streaming I'd, I'd love to hear if you're going to get any of those streaming maybe you're going to stream the matrix maybe you're going to stream uh there's a movie coming out i can't wait to watch that's for netflix called don't look up uh, i think that's released on the 23rd as well it's uh leonardo dicaprio and I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'd love to know what, what that one about. I, I heard think it's about, about that. coming to Earth and crashing right. an asteroid. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate that would really take the buzz off an otherwise good afternoon, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, yeah probably would. And, um, but I think it's going to be a good movie. I think it's a satire and I think it should be a good movie. And um, I'd like to know what anybody's going to be, if they're going to get any streaming or do, you know, anything um, for the holiday season with one of these new releases, House of Gucci or Matrix. Uh, Tons of movies coming up, opening up this week. Macbeth, for one. So I'll probably stream Macbeth this week at some point. I finished uh, reading it. (laughs) (laughs) And next week, we will be having one more show before the end of the year. So maybe we'll do like a a wrap-up. I don't okay. know. I don't know. We'll have to figure out what we'll know. do for yeah. our, our last yeah. show of the year. I don't oh. know if we did anything special last year. I don't like think New so. Year's show. Uh, no. We could talk about it. We could figure All out, right. or we could All just right. do what we usually do, which is what we usually do. <laughs> right. Um, which is kind of non-planned. We're sort of planned. <laughs> we sort of have. We're. It's a sort of planned podcast. Is what we do. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye. And Bye. email us at oh, yeah. the email us. podcast at Thank you. Thank you. Bye.